Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Bij Burger King gebeuren spannende dingen. Wat dacht je van een classic cheeseburger, chicken nuggets burger of sundae voor maar 1 euro per stuk? En dat is nog niet alles. Alle King deals zijn maar 1 euro. Haal ze nu alleen bij Burger King. Right, hello and welcome to our latest Royal Blue podcast in association with Sport Pacer. And uh, we're trying not to make this uh, grim and gloomy. We want you to try and enjoy the weekend <laughs> and the build up to Watford, which is clearly going to be difficult. But we do have to look back uh, a little bit at uh, Thursday evening and uh, the, the very premature end to our Europa League ambitions. And maybe more specifically, um, you know, the team selection for that night, it's already been debated you know, so widely in the newspaper and on social media. But there's you know, one or two issues that we needed to look at, and one was the, the omission of Sanjo Ramirez, um, not even on the subs bench, you know, which seemed very strange you know, for a match in which Everson started with no actual recognised striker on the pitch. I know Chris Beasley, who's with us, um, has been up at uh, Finch Farm today, and you asked uh, David Unsworth mm. about that omission. Um, what did he have to say? Yeah, well, the fact is that Sandro hasn't been in the squad for the last four games now, and that goes all the way back to Cooman's last game in charge. So it's, it's yeah. not a new thing, but given the personnel who were missing in Leon and the fact that he started without even a recognised striker, it was very damning um, for Sandro. Um, got a story coming up um, later tonight in which David speaks about this, but I can tell you that you know he admitted that the, the player has found it difficult since he, he came to England from the playing point of view. He's, he's only a young lad, we've got to remember, and despite his impressive record at Malaga last season, it, it's been a big change for him. Yeah, I mean, I should also say we've got Adam Jones and Gavin Buckland with us uh, here today, myself, Dave Prentice. I think possibly expectation levels were a little bit too high for Sandro, given what he achieved last season, 14 La Liga goals. And you're right in that he is a young, he's a very old-looking youngster. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, so maybe that's why, you know, so people just you know, see those 14 La Liga goals and expect a little bit more. Because from what I've seen, he's just a, a lightweight inside forward, to use the old terminology, who needs to play off a target man if we're going to get any kind of success from him. Mm. We haven't got that target man. Yeah. Is that fair? I mean, has either of you two seen any crumbs of comfort from him to suggest that there could be a player in there waiting to get out? <laughs> well, not from his performances so far this season. Yeah. I think I think I'd have to agree. He does he does look weak. He looks extremely clumsy on the ball from what I from what I've seen, which is which is strange given how how clearly talented he is as a yeah. as a young Spaniard as well. You'd expect yeah. him to be very very composed with his touch, but 
we haven't seen that so far but surely you'd only get better with game time like, you're only going to adapt to the Premier League if you're playing True. minutes in the Premier League so I, I know it's I know it's tough with the situation we're in now but I, I just I, I, I just I, don't see why you wouldn't give him a chance no, I'd say what concerns me I, mean, I think it might such be a, a huge cultural shift trying to play in the Premier League and uh, the reason I say that this afternoon is because we've just sat down and watched the Spanish squad being announced there for their latest round of fixtures and three Liverpool flops in the in the Luis Alberto, Diego Aspas and Suso that were all going to be you know, Anfield wonder kids. Every one of them flopped miserably. Every one of them now is a full Spanish international. So there does appear to be uh, a very marked difference between La Liga football and Premier League football that some players just simply can't adapt to. And I hope that isn't going to be the case with Sanjo, and I'd love to see him succeed. But, you know, he's certainly struggling at the moment. Yeah. Did you hit the nail on the head there, Dave, when you described him as, like, an old-style inside <laughs> forward, of which we've got about 15 on the books at the moment? <laughs> and he sort of, you know, when I've seen him play, he tends to fill the area that, like, is already filled already. Like, you know, yeah. not only does he, like, look like Rooney from a distance, he also play, he plays in the same area mm, as him, yeah. doesn't he? You know, he's not a natural... He doesn't strike it as a target, as you say, a target man striking. Sure. And I think he's also being victim of, like... Oh, you know, I'm not going to go through this again. You know, our plethora of you know, like number tens. So sure. I mean, and I think that, and he, he tends to run face away. You know, his back to goal doesn't he a lot? And I'd like what Adam says. He does tend to sort of look a little bit un- uncoordinated and not not yeah. what you would think for the for the Spaniards. And I think. I think one of the reasons is maybe with younger Spanish players is league all the teams play the same way, don't they? Yeah. You know, there's no there's no change in tactics and ball, you know, and, and and pace. Where like in the Premier League, mainly because of the range of skills within the, within the in the Premier League, perhaps and you know a, a greater range of managers and so on, is you do get get different types of games on depending on on your opposition, doesn't don't don't you really? And I think maybe there's a you know that that makes it difficult to adapt. Because not used to playing in different types of matches, you're playing one style of match in the league, sure. yeah. And I think that maybe help, you know, hasn't helped. And I say the expectation was whenever you saw those like lists at the start of the season, or you know, the ten best signers, the close season, mm, or ten yeah. best value for money signings, invariably he was on them from people who know, dare I say, a lot more about Spanish football than anybody yeah. around the table. And mm-hmm. I think that's really been the, the disappointing thing mm. for me. Yeah. Sorry, go on. There were even rumours that Real Madrid might nick in front of us yeah. at one yeah. point, wasn't there? And I was highly regarded, undoubtedly. Well, you know, so that leads on, I suppose, to you know the man who's tasked with actually recruiting these players. And, you know, his name is beginning to figure in a few stories now, Steve Walsh. I mean, obviously, Ronald Koeman, you know, you know, took lots of flack you know, for the performances this season and ultimately, you know, you know, you know lost his job because of it. Uh, but I think we've identified in previous podcasts that one of the big problems this season has been a flawed transfer strategy. And we don't really know for sure, you know, who takes responsibility. Does Ronald Koeman identify the players and then tell Steve Walsh to go and get them? Does Steve Walsh identify them and give them to Ronald Koeman to work with? And I think we need more clarity on that, to be honest. And, you know, so that, that's clearly not being forthcoming. Steve Walsh, though, is starting to get a little bit of flack now over some of these, you know, players that have come in. Does he deserve it? Um, you know, I can see people nodding around the table. I, mean, I, I think he does. I mean, some of the, the signings are being flawed. And you, three number tens. Why have yeah. we got three number tens? Yeah. It's just you know, it, it's madness. You know, it's a, you know, by, by three players who all fill the same role in the team. Mm. I, I think that 
with the signings, I've said this to a couple of people now. Um, although it was a joint thing, it's, it was Coombe and, and Walsh. It yeah. was a bit like um, Beatles lyrics with Lennon and McCartney. You could tell which one was a Walsh signing and which one was a Coombe signing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's a bit of a crossover with some of the players, but you, you can kind of tell which one was which. You can, yeah. Go on, let's go through. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Very cultural, this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I think we would, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think we'd say that although both men would be on board, but Pickford was probably more of a, a Walsh signing. Martina was undoubtedly a Cumin signing. Yeah, that's um, to them, yeah. 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 Um, I was say, Klassen was probably more Cumin, dare I say. Yeah. Whereas um, yeah. um, Sigurdsson was admired by both of them, but um, Cumin really Koeman, pushed the boat. Yeah, Cumin really, yeah. really yeah. pushed it. Yeah. So you, you can kind of tell which ones were which. So Keane possibly more uh, uh, Walsh again, but. Um, it was obviously a, a group effort, and between them, they've got it's the same way of Mashiri and Kenwright have now got um, to come up with a new manager. The same thing with the, the players. Um, there's two people there, yeah. two people making the decisions. And when Kuman was left without that centre forward, and Giroud was in the building but didn't sign, there should have been a plan B, a plan C in there. And the same yeah. goes to the left sided defender. He can't get off scot free. So, yeah, well, so to Koeman or Walsh was one of them rubbed in the life stand with <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But no, I mean, there were plans B, C and D lined up. I mean, I've had a list of players, you know, given to me uh, that, you know, they did try to go for, including Diego Costa, including Batshuayi. You could argue that they were unrealistic targets. And, you know, clearly in Diego Costa's case, that was because he was never going to go, you know, to, to Everson Football Club, I'm afraid. So, you know, it, it was flawed from the start, I think. Um, you know, someone needs to take responsibility yeah. for it. You know, Ronald Koeman clearly has at yeah. this moment. Um, then the new manager will come in and clearly has to, you know, buy quite significantly in yeah. January. You know, yeah. we've mentioned before on here, uh, you know, obviously strikers are required, left-back covers required, you know, central defence is required. Players in a certain age group are yeah. required. You know, there's yeah. an awful lot of spending required, yeah. which is quite scary. Yeah, you know, so so early in the season. I think I think Walsh is quite right that he, he's getting a bit of uh, scrutiny because he got a lot of plaudits for the Leicester. Yeah. You know, title win. So therefore, you know, when it goes a bit wrong at your next club, you've, you've therefore got to get a bit of stick. Yeah. Um, to me, I, I Chris touched on it there. Is it? I'm not sure what the decision making process is and it has to be clear accountability here doesn't yeah. it like and I'm, I'm not sure whether you, Chris you, you spoke about Ken Wright and Mishiri about yeah. there's there's lots of areas in the club where there's like grey areas like what's the relationship between like the under tw- the under 23s and yeah. you know and, and the first team and, and on Tuesday I said that I think you know the next manager should just be for this season just to get us out of this yeah. this hole we've dug, dug ourselves into and one of the reasons for that is, I think we just need to review everything that we've done since Mashiri came in. Yeah. About like the decision making, what's gone wrong, what's worked, you know, and and and, and you know, review especially the areas that have gone wrong. Review what needs to be done to make that right, and that will include maybe the relationship between the manager and the director of football, without necessarily changing the director of football, and. I think then once that's been done, there's then we're in a position where we've got like that proper like governance structure around the decision making within the club, yeah. and a new manager can come in yeah. on the back of that. Because we have been on quite a bit of a journey. You know, we get a bit of stick at the moment, but it's been a massive change in the club, hasn't it, over the last mm. eighteen months? And I think we need to take account of that, don't we? Really, like at all levels. Sure, it's funny. Shouldn't you yeah, say yeah. they really struck a chord? Just how much divisions, you know, so in the club. 
And yeah, they, they do appear to be plenty. I mean, we've spoken on here before about the gulf um, gap between ages of the players, lots of young players and lots of senior players with not much in between. We've talked about um, you know the director of football stroke manager, arguably, you know, so not singing from the same hymn sheet on occasions. We're talking about Farhad Mashiri and Bill Kenwright. I mean, the search for the new manager will come down to those two. And, you know, we're hearing that, you know, Bill Kenwright was desperate for David Unsworth to succeed. Obviously, he hasn't. They're going to have to look elsewhere in, you know, the very short term. Farhad Mashiri wants to be a lot more ambitious uh, in his appointments. Is there a division there? But even in the coaching uh, setup. Uh, I, I don't want to dignify this guy's character by even mentioning his name, but you know, Mr. Barton, there was a comment this week uh, about uh, David Unsworth, but he reflected in it that Duncan Ferguson doesn't like David Unsworth either. And that just could be him, you know, throwing it out yeah. there for uh, clickbait, you know, which he does quite successfully. Um, but you know, other divisions in the coaching staff as well, because you know, when we went down to watch open training last week, you know, obviously John Eberle and David Unsworth are taking it and very enthusiastic. Uh, and Duncan was very much, you know, like a silent partner, just watching on. Maybe that's his demeanour generally during training. I don't know. I don't watch them training often enough to know that. But there does appear to be divisions in a number of areas of the club, which is a cause for concern. Div- divisions in the transfer zone. Some of them have like loads of inside forwards or number tens, yeah. and then like no left hand side defender or striker. What's your, what's your reckon, Ad? Well, well, I think going back to Steve Walsh, the lack of clarity over his position is what makes this a debate, really. Like, Everton have never had a director of football before. Yes. Like, we, we, have, we have no idea how a director of football even works at Everton. Steve Walsh, in fairness to him, has never been a director of football before. He was only a head of recruitment down at Leicester. <laughs> this is a new role for him. This is a new role for the club. And the fact that there is such a lack of clarity between this is... Is really damning to be honest, and we don't know how much of a role Steve Walsh is going to have to play with the new manager. Is the new manager going to have to get on with Walsh? Like, how how much of a say is Walsh going to have in this? Yeah, Yeah. there's there's another there's another aspect to it, which which is Unsworth himself, isn't it? Because and we spoke we spoke about it, you know, Sanzo at the start is if Unsworth has a relationship with has to have a relationship with Walsh and. Unsworth now goes back to the under twenty three if they've got a new manager in. Well, he's basically, you know, sort of told Walsh hasn't he in his selections that actually I think some of the stuff he done during <laughs> the summer mm-hmm. wasn't that wasn't, wasn't, wasn't yeah. that great, mate. Yeah. So yeah. but then he's got to go maybe go back he might not go back to the under twenty threes, may want to spread his wings elsewhere. Remember back to the under twenty threes, he's now got to like re-establish a different type of Although relationship. An awful lot of under twenty threes were recruited as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's so, the thing. Exactly, yeah. So there's lots of things there that I think that needs working on. That's why I think we need, just need to buy ourselves a bit of time between now and the rest of the season and not make the next managerial appointment the most important one that comes this year. Is just buy a bit of time, get somebody in and sort all this stuff out that we've just spoken about over the last 15 years. Well, it, it's funny you should refer to that because, I mean, Phil Tegrider is not with us at the moment because he's uh, still journeying back from Leon. Uh, <laughs> via Frankfurt, work that one out if you can. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's still on his way back. Uh, but he's done a, a really interesting comment piece for tomorrow um, where he argues that, you know, bitter though the pill may be, and, you know, we'll have to swallow our pride and accept that the situation currently is so precarious that Everton do need uh, Sam Allardyce. Uh, they need, you know, a, a trusted firefighter that can come in short term and just, you know, basically keep Everton stable in the Premier League until a more, you know, forward thinking long term appointment can be made in the summer. It'll be met, you know, by 
well, grimly by a lot of Evertonians, I suspect. I mean, you won't be looking at his Twitter notifications tomorrow, I can say, <laughs> say that. Um, but, you know, do, do you agree with him? Do you think you know, the situation is that dire? Personally, I don't. I, you know, I think eight games in, are we really panicking that much already? But I don't know. It's, you know, if things yeah. go wrong on Sunday, I might change my tune. Um, Kevin Ratcliffe, club's most successful captain today, I was speaking to him for his, his column, and, and he told me didn't think that there was um, he feared there weren't three worse teams in the Premier League right now than, yeah. than Everton that's terrifying and, um, that's true. Mm-hmm. it was scare, it was scaring him and he spoke about the the, the need possibly for a, a firefighter in that in that respect so um, I just feel that personnel wise Everton should safely be in the top half of the table with the, the talent they've got in the squad even if it is grossly lopsided but as a team they're just, they aren't a team, they're not a unit, they're not, they, yeah. they can't score at one end, they're leaking goals at the, the other end. And I suppose even somebody like Farhad Mashiri, if he is ambitious, he wants to protect his investment, and by protecting his investment would be making sure that Everton are in the Premier League next season and Sam Allardyce, to be fair to him, is number one for that. He's, he's, he's got a record as unblemished in that respect. Is, is he that good at doing that? I mean, he took a long time to get Crystal Palace, you know, so firing last season. I, I do agree with what, what you just said there, Chris. Like, we have got the quality to, to get into the top half of the Premier League, so why can't we still be ambitious in our manager selection? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. why, why, <laughs> like, why, if we went for Thomas Tuchel, why would he get us relegated? Like, yeah. uh, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't see why, why not just try and get him in. And yeah. Why couldn't he push us up the table? Why couldn't he be a firefighter? I think I've not, I I agree what Phil's saying, but it only works for me if we do all this revision of all the stuff that goes on behind mm-hmm. the scenes. If mm-hmm. we don't do that, I think you just end up having the same scenario played mm-hmm. out. I think for me, ideally for me, is a short-term manager with that that whole thing behind the scenes that we've just spoken about getting sorted out, sorted out in the interim part. And part of the court. I mean, the other name was I thought. I could see it working, and it would be nice. It was mentioned it was hitting, wasn't it? It was mentioned earlier in the that, week. That's a great shout, yeah. And I think, yeah. like, he would be perfect in that role, wouldn't he? For yeah. a couple yeah. of reasons. Yeah. One is that he's done it. I mean, the good, the good point is he's done it. Chelsea. He's a big name of football, isn't he? So it's yeah. not as if he, you know we've got ambition yeah. and we're employing X, Y, and Z from lower divisions or like associated with dare I say the bottom of the Premier League. He's a big name of football. He's managed mm. Chelsea, you know, and he would give the club like a little bit of gravitas as well and he would work perfectly for me apart from whether it's his type of battle you know what I mean yeah. he's, he's used to like you know scratching yeah. the, the bellies of yeah. star players <laughs> for six months and keeping yeah. them happy whether it, that that will sort yeah. of turn into well, a relegation well battle, last know. time he took charge of Chelsea Chelsea were, I mean they weren't, they weren't as low as we are yeah, now yeah. but they, they were in Pretty dire straits, and sure, he'd, he'd managed them before, though, hadn't he? The mm, same players, yeah. and they'd probably had better players. But I, you know, you know, somebody maybe not hitting, but a big name yeah. looking for the job for yeah. eight months would yeah. be ideal for me. Hiddink mm. was interesting when I thought, of course, he was the Chelsea manager when they beat Everton in the cup final in 09 yeah. as well. He's 70 years old now, but maybe if it's a long term, it's only a short term job, I mean, sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, wouldn't be concerned about that. The dynamic I was interested in that. Tar an entire nation with the same brush, but going from one Dutch manager to another, would he be too similar a voice in the dressing room, his demeanour? But then I thought, well, you went from Walter Smith to David Moyes, and there wasn't a problem in that dynamic. He managed to revitalise yeah, the club. Yeah, I don't think nationality is an issue. I think it's you know down to the personality of the individual <laughs> themselves. And Hiddink 
does carry, you know, sort of plenty of respect and plenty of gravitas. Now, I like that idea uh, very much. It's, yeah, I mean, uh, if you make that, you could, for me, as a club, it would work better than Allardyce because he's a big name, isn't he? And you know what it's like in managers. If you come to Evan, you look on the outside, I'd tell you what, there's something going on here behind the scenes that, you know, when somebody who wanted the job permanently say next summer, probably have a word. What's he yeah. think, Gus? What's, what's going on behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. And if, if you saw, like, what we're, we're moving as a club and pass that message on, coming from him, I think it'd be... Uh, uh, you know, it'd be a good message. So he he'd be ideal with the caveat that whether third or fourth from bottom is something that he'd be suited to as a, as a manager. But as you say, there's some play. The other thing I wanted to mention today quickly, and I know Adam just mentioned there is if you if you looked at our squad and marked them from poor, just generally as players from poor, average, good and very good, how many would fall into the very good category? Oh gosh. Well, like on, on, the, again, on the, what are we talking about? Yeah. Just, just generally, just generally, as as we're not not what they were five years yeah. ago, i.e. Jags or Baines or something yeah. like that. Yeah. As of their current age and current skills, how many would fall into the very good category? Until recent months, Morgan Schneidlin would fall into the very good category, That's, but he yeah, would yeah. he's he's plummeted. Yeah. Well, funny enough, one of the lads before was saying, uh, you know, it's getting reasonably close that time of year, and we throw throw me annual Everpool team together. Yeah. And he said, you're going to be struggling now, aren't you? It's going to yeah. be like a, a Liverpool team from start to finish. And you're thinking about it based on calendar year performances. You could probably make an argument for you know Jordan Pickford for Lukaku, obviously you know first half of the season. Yeah. Schneiderlin, don't know. First half of the year was great, second half of the year was awful. But beyond that, you know. I don't, I don't think there's anybody it, apart it, from Pickford. It's been that bad uh, a calendar year. And the only one who, who would say would spring to mind is Indian, that's Coleman. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're, they're the only, if you looked at our squad, say 25, 30 players, the only two that you could say on their day were very good players are Coleman and Pickford. Well, I mean, Gilfie say Has he. Does he look. A very good player. Well, we're not, so far, we're, well, we're yeah. not going on. I, I, was, I was going to say the other one. You would hope that Sigurdsson would come into that category. Mm. Rooney was a great player, just now not a very good player, but he's capable of very good things, which is not necessarily the same. So you're left with a lot of players there who are in around the the average yeah. stroke. Fair uh, comments. I, I think Sigurdsson has suffered by the, the absence of any forwards. Yeah, yeah. Some yeah. of those balls he plays into the box, he's a yeah. set piece expert, yeah. and his set pieces are still good. Yeah. You look at a couple of the balls on uh, Thursday night that were yeah. played and just mm-hmm. demanded to be attacked, mm-hmm. and there's no one to attack them. Yeah. You know, there's a young lad Dominic Calvert Lewin who's like running his heart out. Well, you know, he didn't even start on Thursday, but when he's on the pitch, he's running his heart out. But that's it. There's no one in the forward line to attack them. He would look a better player immediately with you know a couple of strikers with a bit of penalty box know-how and you know yeah. sort of the ability to read you know balls that are coming exactly. Into the you box. saw how well he worked with Fernando Llorente exactly, yeah. last season. He yeah. got basically those two dragged them off on the mire. Yeah. Was that a reason to say that's on the back yeah. of Kevin Rackler's comments? Yeah. Is that better than three worst teams in the Premier League than, than ever? When you look at the, the squad and their capability as individuals, Which, you're thinking. Mm. Which is damning considering the amount of money they've yeah. spent. And okay, everyone spent a lot of money because everything's relative. But the investment, the kind of investment, the excitement that was throughout the summer as all these buys were me and made, and then we look what Everton have been left with. And similar to your point the other week, um, Gav, about compared to say the '09 Cup final team or Moyes' strongest side in the pump, yeah. what are they actually left with? Yeah. Well, no, you mentioned the cup final. Uh, Unzi has actually branded this weekend's game a cup final, which you know is a bit concerning so early in the season. Yeah. 
Myself and Gav are old enough to have been there at the Copa <laughs> Cup final. Still, my, my best moment as an Evertonian, even more so yeah. than Bayern Munich. We got behind, I was on the terrace when Sharpie's goal hit the post and went in. Physical shiver went down my spine. Having been to Wembley twice <laughs> and seen goalless draws, first goal I'd ever seen at Wembley, that's a proper Cup final. Yeah. This one isn't, but it's a very, very, very important game. So, you know, what, what does Unzi do to get the result that is absolutely crucial now? Obviously, Baines, Jagielka and Rooney are going to be involved. It sounds like Michael Keane's going to be fit and available. Does he stick with the, the balance he's tried in the last few games? Lennon one side, Morales the other? You know, I think, I think wingers different? maybe. I think wingers are probably essential. Maybe yeah. not Lennon, Lennon and Morales. I'd say maybe yeah. Morales and Vlasic would yeah. be my two choices. Yeah. And I'd say Benny Beningami has to start. He's been he's, great, hasn't he's been, he? He's, he's such been a, absolutely fantastic. Such a mature head on a yeah. pair of young shoulders. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I've been really impressed by him. Mm. I mean, mm. he's, he's sort of flown under the radar, hasn't he, because of our, you know, wide yeah. travails. But if we did one a couple of games or two, and he'd be spoken about thinking he's half decent. Yeah. I, mean, I think really like the look of him. Obviously, he's 18, is he? Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. it's quite a big, yeah. big role to play, isn't it, yeah. at 18? Yeah. In front of you know, because you've got to have like a bit of football now, so about you having here and mm. sort of be able to pass the ball. And he's, he's, he's looked in a struggling team, he's, he's looked there, uh, and they've been good. fairly you know, formidable environments. He's you know, he's come yeah. on, you know, Stanford Bridge away in a cup tie, he looked great. Um, second half of a game that was running away from Everton in the Premier League, and again, you know, helped steady yeah. the ship. And then, you know, Thursday night was you know, not the easiest place to go, but no, he does, he looks a player. Mm. Uh, would you start him, you know, on Sunday as well? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh-huh. you've got to, you've got to start all your best players, and yeah. at the minute he's looking like our best player, yeah. which which says a lot about the rest of the squad, if we're honest. And again, going back to Kevin Ratcliffe again today, he says that it's essential. He feels that Everton find a system that get, brings the best out of both Rooney and Sigurdsson. Somehow, he said Were that you playing both in the same team. Oh. He thinks he thinks they've yeah. got to. He do, he doesn't think they can afford not to, given that it's yeah. the club's record signing and the highest paid player. He think he said they've got the. There's the goal scorer and the creator. Okay, they've not got a proper number nine, but somehow, I mean, it's easier said than done. Figure out a system. Well, that, I mean, Ron Koeman insisted that Wayne Rooney could play number nine, which is why he, you know, explained buying both those players. So if he played nine, Sigurdsson the ten, possibly. But for that to happen, Wayne's got to be disciplined and he's got to play as a nine and not drop deep on the pitch and yeah. get frustrated and try and mm. make things happen himself, which he's been doing far too much recently. He's got to play on the shoulder of defenders and mm. you know be the player he was when he was yeah. sixteen. You know. Mm. It's just not going to happen, is it? Really, yeah. double that age now, basically, yeah. isn't he? Like, you know, I wouldn't have them both in the same yeah. team. Yeah. So I'd have, I'd have Sigurdsson. It's amazing that we're talking about our top scorer this season not getting into the team. Yeah. When we're struggling for the goals, of the squad, well, we're struggling, we're struggling yeah. for goals. Yeah. And our top scorer, yeah, yeah, yeah. like you could, you could make a really good case for him not being in the team. He's, he's one of is he yeah. still one of two players to have scored the Premier League goal for us this yeah. season yeah. with yeah. Umar yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. does, uh, does Big Umar get in at the weekend just start him no, or no. is he going to be the no. Super no. sub. I'm just yeah. wondering who's going to shove the Watford keeper into the net. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. Although, although he was never yeah. touched though. Yeah. Yeah. As long as somebody does it, yeah. yeah. Well, God, we normally finish these things by uh, predictions, and we we are absolutely hopeless. So just before the one thing to say about just there's a little story about that because yeah. John Hunting was the referee, wasn't Correct, he? Was yeah. he? And I always think it was payback time for John Hunting that at West Brom in 1976, he was the referee when the dog got on the pitch right. and kicked, uh, took the ball off Ken McNaught, the Everton defender, and the ball went loose to the uh, West Brom 
think it was uh, Nicky Cross went through and scored yeah. purely because the the dog had tackled Ken McNaught <laughs> and and John Hunting allowed the goal yeah. and he got loads of stick over nothing. Think that he, he sort of remembered uh, that. Well, <laughs> you know, say referees decisions season. even themselves out. Yeah, yeah, those, those two decisions have even themselves Eight out. Eight years you know? coming, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, the players themselves have said that Jordan Pickford's done a nice interview tonight, where he's utterly. Adamant, this is not a relegation fight. He's been in one with Sunderland, and he says this doesn't feel like a relegation fight. You know, we're better than that. We're going to start climbing the table starting on Sunday. It was great, you know, defined stuff to hear. Hope to God he's right. Um, so go on, we'll uh, we'll get it hopelessly wrong and suggest what's going to happen on Sunday. Uh, come on, let's be right yeah, for once. Yeah. Let's let's get it right. Come on, Gav, be be, be well, positive. What's going to happen on Sunday? Well, first of all, I don't think it, what I would say is I don't think it's a must-win game. No, it's it's. But it is is definitely a must not lose game. Okay. Yeah. So So it's gonna be a draw. So so I would say I would be perfectly happy with a draw just to just to, on the back of five consecutive defeats, just to, to stop stop the rot. <laughs> so I'm gonna go with do you want to score line? I'm yeah, gonna go with I'm yeah. gonna go with a, a very boring one or draw. Okie dokie. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go with if the Everton fans get behind them. That's important. Yeah. Hard four two one win. Okie dokie. I was going to say the same. Yeah, there's been two very contrasting games against Watford in recent seasons. It was uh, 1-0 with Barkley at the end of last season. It was the 2-2 on the opening day of the previous season. But I, ca- I can't see him keeping a clean sheet, but I'll be bold and say Unsie to bar- bow out in his cup final with a 2-1 win. I, I can see a win. I, mean, I know Watford have got a number of uh, injury problems at the moment, you know, which is heartening me a little bit. Troy Deeney's missing. He's very important to them. You know, they're a very good side, technically, with a manager that you know is allegedly you know attracting uh, Everson's interest as well, but I just think that there's going to be such a mood of defiance and not anger, but you know Goodison can be you know an intimidating place to be uh, when we're up against it, and let's face it, we are up against it. Uh, so I can see a you know a Fulham type atmosphere. David Moyes' first game when Unzi scored after 30 mm-hmm. odd seconds. That was a hard fought two one win that day after Tommy Gravison ridiculously got himself <laughs> sent off. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go with a. I'm gonna go clean sheets, two nil, two nil one for the toffees. So anyway, we're back next early next week uh, to discuss what's happened and uh, you know what the international break may hold for us. So uh, come back and uh, join us then. <laughs>